Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Mom? Yes? What are you doing? I was going to call y'all and ask you something now. I don't remember what. Well, you're being recorded right now, so. <gasps> oh, Jiminy Crickets. Lucas. <sighs> I have a question for you. It's a really easy one. Okay. So <laughs> 30 years ago, about right now, I had a pet hamster. Do you remember the name of that hamster? MC Hamster. MC, MC hamster. hamster. You want me to tell you the story about MC Hamster? Sure. Tell me. Well, you wouldn't keep his cage clean. And the, for three, for three like years. the story of why he was named MC Ham. I did not have that hamster for three years. He was about three years old, and you no. had lost interest in him. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, if you don't get in there and clean that cage up, I'm going to take him, and he's going to be my hamster. And you said, okay. So I did, and one Saturday I spent all Saturday morning cleaning out his cage, making it all spiffy, letting him roll around in a little ball all over the house, put him back in there. We came home from church on Sunday, and I went over and tapped him and said, see, we're home, and he didn't move, and he'd gone to hamster heaven, and I went in your room and said, Luke, MC went to hamster heaven, and you said, okay. And I went light on my bed and cried and cried. That is not true. There is no way. Yes, it is. It is true. No. I do remember you killing him, but I don't remember reacting in that way. He couldn't live in a clean environment because he was used to you. Gosh, come on. You're making me sound bad on my own show. I was just calling because 30 years ago this week... Was the final week for MC Hammer's album, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, to be number one on the charts. Uh And so I just thought, what a perfect way to sort of honor that tremendous fandom that I had, you know, to share the name of my hamster. So, and now you've made me look terrible. So would this be a good time, too, to tell them about your dance thing at the talent show? Mom, wasn't that? I've that talked about it. Hamster, I've talked it? about it a million times on the show. <laughs> that was Belle Biv DeVoe. You're trying. Oh yeah, you are trying <laughs> to make me look bad. But you always wanted gold on my pants. I did what? Always wanted gold on my pants, yes, like MC I've, Hamster I've, wore. I've, I've, his name was not MC <laughs> Hamster. That was the hamster's name, Mom. The rapper was MC Hammer. MC Hamster never wore dance pants. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you hung up. You're just laughing. All right. I love you. I'm going to talk to you later. (laughs) Bye, Mom. (laughs) From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 43. Pet names and euphemistic idioms. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, November 3rd, 1990. Hello friends and welcome to another episode of 30 Pop. As I mentioned on the phone with my mom, we have finally made it to the end of the single most impressive chart run we've ever covered on this show and perhaps that we ever will. 
That is, unless 30 Pop is still going in the year 2041, and we get to look back 30 years at Adele's 2011 release, 21, which spent an impressive 24 weeks at the top. Our next number one album, beginning next week, will hold the top spot for 16 straight weeks. Then, in 1992, Whitney Houston's soundtrack to the film The Bodyguard will be number one for 20 non-consecutive weeks. But as for MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, our time has come to an end. Well done, Mr. Hammer, sir. Thank you for a fun ride. We look forward to seeing you at the top again next year. As for the top single in the country, history was made this week in 1990 when, for the first time ever, a rap song crossed over and dominated the mainstream pop chart. The song, Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. We talked about this song a couple weeks back when it was number one on the hot rap chart. It also made it to the top of the charts in Australia, Belgium, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Ireland, and the UK, and became a major contributor in the globalization of rap music. But it's worth noting, its success in the mainstream wasn't entirely its own. Not only because the bass line from the song was famously lifted from Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure, but because the groundwork had been being laid for at least a decade for rap and hip-hop's inevitable embrace by majority culture. Or, to say it more plainly, by white culture. The fact is, or at least what I believe is, Vanilla Ice wouldn't have had the global success he did had MC Hammer not spent so many months at the top of the Billboard 200, bridging the gap between rap music and white America. And Hammer wouldn't have had the success he did, but for the work of artists like Salt and Peppa, JJ Fad, Cool Mo D, LL Cool J, or DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, who, as we've discussed many times on the show, in 1989 were the very first nominees for the Grammy for Best Rap Performance and their peers and mentors before them who'd been defining and refining the genre for years prior. Not to even mention artists like James Brown, Chuck Berry, and Parliament Funkadelic, who made massive contributions to both the sound and success of black music. I don't mean to take anything away from Vanilla Ice. Ice Ice Baby is undeniably hooky, especially for a song written by a 16-year-old kid, a kid who was legitimately invested in and surrounded by hip-hop culture and it laid a significant amount of groundwork for the future of the genre as well. But to deny entirely the cultural appropriation associated with this song's success would be to diminish, if not disregard altogether, the work of the massive number of people who made that possible. I'm sure we'll get into that more over the coming weeks and months. The top single on the Hot Country chart this week in 1990 was, for the first and only week, Reba McIntyre's song, You Lie. You Lie There is no way I could have appreciated it at the time, but this song is honestly pretty incredible. Reba was already an industry staple, with You Lie serving as the lead single for her soon-to-release 17th studio album. But her vocal performance on this song, her impressive range, and the ease with which she handles the very dynamic melody made it impossible to deny Reba's rightful place among pop culture's most elite. 
especially in light of her recent transition into acting earlier in the year with Tremors. And honestly, she was just getting started. We'll be talking a lot more about Reba over the next few years. For now, do yourself a favor and click on the link in the show notes to watch the music video for You Lie, which features Reba's equally impressive head of hair. The number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart 30 years ago this week was, once again, Samuel's So You Like What You See. And at the top of the hot rap chart, also for its second week, was the Candyman classic, Knockin' Boots. I hopped on a call this week with perhaps the biggest remaining fan of that song, my dear older brother, a Gen Xer's Gen Xer if ever there was one, Josh Bronner, to talk about it. Here's our conversation. Josh, welcome back to 30 Pop. It's been a while. It has been. I'm glad to be back. We talked last week about how I wanted you to be on this episode because the number one song on the hot rap chart 30 years ago this week for the second straight week was Candyman Knockin' Boots. <laughs> I love that song. I still have that on my playlist. It's funny. I want us to talk about it because it's really interesting to me that we are getting into this sort of season of Vanilla Ice being the guy. And he had the number one rap song the week before Candyman with Ice Ice Baby. Right. You know, this week he had the number one song on the Hot 100 chart, which is like a major, major deal. And then he's got the number one album for weeks, months even, on end. But this song held the number one spot for six straight weeks on the Hot Rap chart, which I think that's crazy in the same time as Ice Ice Baby was like sweeping the world. Yeah, Ice Ice Baby was massive. I, I remember both these. This was my freshman year, which is crazy to think that that was that long ago. But these songs were massive. Both of them were huge hits. I mean, I had the single cassette of Knockin' Boots. Oh, I know. I remember hearing it knocking through the walls all the time. So tell me, you, you mentioned <laughs> last week that you have unironically used the term knocking boots in your life. I would love to hear the context around that for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my wife's going to kill me. Is she the only person with whom you have used the phrase knocking boots? Yes. <laughs> I do not my believe you. Forever. <laughs> do, you, do you know where the phrase comes from? Have you ever wondered where knocking boots? I actually do not. Okay. Yeah, I, actually, I actually have no idea. So I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, where I find the most useful information generally. And <laughs> here's what it said. Knocking boots is an old Western term for having sex, derived from both he and she stripping down and slipping their boots under the bed, which sometimes made a knocking noise. Sometimes the boots are slash were left on during sex and the boots would knock during all the action. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that's true? Uh, it's got to be, doesn't it? It's from the Urban Dictionary. I <laughs> but mean, I mean, you've read I, a lot I, of like Louis L'Amour and Western fiction. So maybe you have yeah, come across the phrase. You know? okay. I, I can assure you the sackets never said they were knocking the boots. It probably would have worked out for them about like it worked out for me. Their wives probably would have been like, an idiot, leave me alone. <laughs> well, let's talk about the lyrical content of this song. It was pretty provocative in its time. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it, this is at a time when sex was becoming increasingly palatable, I guess, on the radio. Like censors were easing up because we're coming up on the time when we get like, color me bad, I want to sex you up. You, you get Kuiper, you get salt and Peppers. All their stuff. I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of stuff that comes out. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a yeah. lot. But this song was pretty explicitly about sex. Absolutely. That's all it was about. Was there ever any conflict between you and our mom about you owning crazy. this as a 14-year-old? No, there wasn't. And that is what's crazy to me. And I'm not blaming mom dad, but I listen to songs and stuff that we listened to growing up. And I go, why did my parents ever let me listen to this? I would be 
scared to death that my kids were listening to this. And I think my youngest is that age right now. And I'm going, he better not be listening to anything like this. And I'm sure he is. But, oh, he for sure is. But no, I don't, I'm not sure how I got away with that one. I mean, we, I, I know all. that for a fact that you also owned Color Me Bad. I want to sex you. You owned that whole record. I remember. Yeah, that was a good album too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about some of your favorite lines. What, you know, because I'm confident that you do in fact have all of the words still memorized. Gosh. I'm curious if there are particular lines that you find yourself quoting from time to time. Oh man. All y'all cuties next to me talking sex to me. In what context are you using that? Like, <laughs> you know, just every day to day, whatever cuties yeah, are next to you absolutely. talking sex to you. Okay. Absolutely. It doesn't work. Then you're just a dirty old man at this age. So, can I tell you the line that I, it took me forever to know what he was actually saying, but I still love break out the bottle of Asti Spumante, pop off the top and rock with my posse. Yes. I never had any idea what he was saying. I don't know what Asti Spumante was as a kid, but um, so the line that follows that he begins as many rap songs did in those days to list off and like shout out all his friends. Right. And I just want to know what these guys are up to today. Fila Al, Big Dill, and D-Fly, we ask the questions, you give the reply. <laughs> MC Chip, Big Rob, and Bud, rocking on the waterbed, knocking on the rugs. If you had to guess now, 30 years later, what do you think Fila Al, Big Dill, and D-Fly are up to? I imagine they're hoping they get their social security check, and they're wondering <laughs> what in the hell they were even thinking back then. Do you think they still go by Fila Al, Big Dill, and D-Fly? Oh, they have to. MC Chip, Big Rob, and Bud. I mean, I hope that they're still getting residuals for this song, because it's still a banger, man. Like, I still, this song has to still be getting airplay. I guarantee it is it, on Sirius It aged well. It really oh, yeah, has. Like, all the time. It, and, you know, it opens up with Tone Loke, who was at the top of his Absolutely. game. He gives the he intro. He discovered Candyman. Is that the story? Okay, attention all ladies, yes, the Candyman is on the prowl. And for those that want to get busy, you gots to speak up now. now. But his voice (laughs) is so like iconic. Oh, absolutely. But uh, here's what I know: Candyman is still at it, man. He is still making music today. Believe it or not, he was slick, man. He had a cool voice. He did, and he's in his fifties now. But he's, I mean, he's released a Black Lives Matter song this year, where in the music video, his whole—I'm sure the guys in the video are Fila Al, Big Dill, and D Fly. (laughs) There, he's got a whole entourage with him, and they're but they're all masked up. So like it was filmed during COVID nineteen, you know, like the whole thing. He's still at it today, which I think is wild. That's crazy. I did reach out for an interview, and I did not hear back. If I do, I will absolutely have him on the show. But that would be awesome because I did and do love this song. Yes, I'll probably listen to it after this call. I'm confident you will, and I bet you try the line again on your wife. And so tell tell that I would pretty much guarantee that one. I mean, Tell her to feel free bet. to leave a message on the 30 pop answering machine at 30 pop.com <laughs> and let us know how that went. Cause we'd love to hear an update. I will tell her. Or I guess if it works, then maybe you just give us an update. Cause you'll, yeah, you'll, absolutely. Yeah. I'll just call in how you doing and you'll know <laughs> God. it worked. All Never out. mind. Please don't. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Well, Hey, that's all I got for you, but we'll have you on again very, very soon. I mean, at the very latest cool. when color me bad releases their fantastic album. So. Oh, absolutely. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. We'll see you. All right. Bye. <laughs> I 
I wish that each and every one of you could have the experience of riding in the passenger seat next to my brother while he has one of his many 80s and 90s playlists blasting as he taps you repeatedly on the arm to get your attention so he can serenade you with the lyrics, which he's memorized and retained with great precision, of songs the rest of the world has long since forgotten almost entirely. Like Candyman's Knockin' Boots. Or Paperboy's The Diddy. Or Digital Underground's Freaks of the Industry. It's very uncomfortable. But it's just part of his charm and I love him for it. Big thanks to Josh for being a part of this episode. Moving on, in Hollywood this week in 1990, we had a couple new releases and another new horror film at the top of the box office. The November 2nd release starring Tim Robbins, Jacob's Ladder. Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? It's one of those days. And every day, he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure, Jake. They're like demons, Jess. They weren't human. What were they, Jake? Then look at your hand. You have a very strange line. See, according to this, you're already dead. (laughs) Something's wrong, Jake. They're coming after me. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're going to get me, and I'm scared, Jake. I've seen them, too. Maybe the demons are real. He's running 106 feet. Ah! This is barbaric. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. This is the first and only of the multiple horror releases from 1990, none of which I've seen, that looks legitimately creepy. Virtually every review I read, whether raving or ranting, describes the movie as emotionally draining to watch. One writer even using the phrase nerve-shattering. I may at some point actually check this one out. The other new release on November 2nd, 1990 was the fourth and final major film performance from legendary musician Prince and the standalone sequel to his 1984 film debut, Purple Rain, Graffiti Bridge. Joey just plays pulled 17,000. We made our usual 35 and a kid made 1,500. $1,500? We got to make more money. The kid. You and your crew can walk bars. You take the club, lock keys and all. The king. How do you want to die? Bad blood. I want my money, but this joint is mine. Hot Stellas. In a story the way only Prince could tell it. Honey boy. With music. Staples, George Clinton, Ingrid Chavez, Tevin Campbell, 
Graffiti Bridge. Now what time is it? The most notable memory I have from this movie was the introduction, at least to me, of the mega-talented young singer Kevin Campbell with his single Round and Round, which had released in September and was lingering near the top 10 on the Hot 100 chart around this time. I was a pretty huge Tevin Campbell fan throughout the 90s, and I still love and am impressed by this song to this day. In sports and television news this week in 1990 was the return of NBA on NBC, which had previously existed from 1955 to 1962, before the NBA left the network for a variety of broadcast runs on ABC, CBS, and other stations. The league's contract would remain with NBC throughout the entire decade, up to 2002, or arguably the greatest and perhaps most important years in their entire history. Thank you, Michael Jordan and company, among others. We'll get into much more of that in the coming months and years, rest assured. But for now, that pretty much does it for this week in 1990 pop culture history, friends. I'll be back next week for a likely very abbreviated episode, as I'll actually be on vacation all week. And then back again the next week with a very full, very fun episode I honestly just can't wait to share. I hope you'll join me for each of those, so maybe we can break out the bottle of Asti Spumanti, pop off the top, and rock with my posse. 30 Pops produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. 